Any education apart from Jesus Christ is for us miseducation. And it produces not education nor an educated man, but a new race of barbarians who are today busily destroying their civilization. Humanistic education is the institutionalized love of death. Christian education, because it serves him who says, I am the way, the truth, and the light, is the love of life. This is the Love of Life Podcast, Conversations with Jesse and Courtney. Welcome to episode 10 of the Love of Life podcast. If you're new around here, so are we. True. I was working on that as a joke. You were. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just to lighten things up a little bit. Because we want to talk about some super serious stuff here. True. Yeah. So we um, we actually want to talk a little bit about the imprecatory psalms. The word imprecatory actually means to invoke judgment, calamity, or curses upon one's enemies, or those that are perceived as the enemies of God. Which sounds pretty... Uh, heavy. Heavy, radical. Yeah. Um, but on a serious note, we, um, we, I think we really want to talk about what we pray in our prayer life um, mutually, because, you know, we... We have enemies as Christians. We have those that are around us that hate God and are about destroying, trying to, to destroy his, not only the things of God, but the people of God. And I, I pretty, it's pretty clear, especially I think living in 2021, um, that these are things we see all around us and, um, but we, but we don't want to just say we pray the imprecatory psalms and we, you know, we curse our enemies because that's not the heart of the Father. It's not the heart of God. Um, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Yeah. So we were once God's enemies, only reconciled through the cross. Yeah. So one of the things um, that we pray when we we pray um, pretty much daily is for reformation and revival in the country, in this nation, uh, and in the world. Because um, God says that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. So the thing that we pray is that we would, that God would make his enemies our friends, and that he would do that through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus Christ, that they would be reconciled to God like we are, um, like those that know God are, they would be reconciled to God and then we would be reconciled to them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, you know, we think of the example of Saul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, who became Paul. Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, was an enemy, a real direct enemy of God, persecuting his church, mm-hmm. um, killed Stephen. Uh, just horrible things have been done had been done by Saul, who later becomes Paul, and um, and, and we know that our that the God of 
the universe, the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, can save any of our enemies. So the thing that we pray um, is that God would save them. But if he does not save them, um, there's so many Psalms where David talks about his enemies, and he does so in a way that is <laughs> uh, probably a little too heavy for people in 2021. And yet when we read these Psalms, they are still applicable today. They are still um, they are still useful in our own prayer life, that God would destroy the works of darkness, that God would vanquish his enemies. Um, so I don't know if you want to read perhaps maybe Psalm 5. Sure, but when, when you say we pray for these people, like who are you talking about? Who are we praying become our friends through the gospel? Like what evil are we seeing that but well, we see evils in our government, first and foremost. We see evils in the state. We see evils through this current administration. Um, we definitely see, and that's not to say uh, one particular party, although I do believe that one particular party, in essence, promotes evil. Um, but I would not say that uh, the other party is somehow all Christian or altogether good. That's definitely not true. Um there but are right there's now, one is there's there's evil on all sides, but yeah, the the the, the current uh, power uh, that is the Democrats have a clear uh, antithetical view of God, His Word, Scripture, and the way that we should live our life. Um, you know, you could go down the list with various things that uh, the Democrats support, such as abortion, homosexuality. Um, you know, you could go through many cultural sins. They, they, they are the ones in Congress that are saying we're not going to recognize male and female anymore. We're not going to do this. Uh, this is an affront to God and to His character. Uh, so that makes them, if you will, our enemies. Um, but again, we pray for their salvation first and foremost. We pray that they would know the God of the universe, as he's revealed in his word, that they would become our friends through the power of the gospel, which they can. Um, but our, our our next prayer is that if he would not make them our friends, that he would silence the talk of foolish men and women, that he would silence those that are in power, that are doing harm to his people. Um, they ultimately can't completely do us harm because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Christ. Um, which is, which is good news. Uh, and I take great consolation in that, but, um, no, so, I mean, if you're looking at our enemies, we could look at the state, we could look at the government. Um, we could look at, you know, sometimes our enemies are, are relatives or are people that we know nearby. Um, our enemies in one sense, as far as a Christian is concerned, can be all about us, all around us, that is. Um, so there are many enemies, not just in high offices in government. Okay. Um, Psalm 5? Yeah, Psalm 5. Okay. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groanings. Give attention to the sound of my cry. Uh, Jumping verses? Yeah. So okay. right here. There you go. Okay. Starting at verse 4. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. 
The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. So we go. Yes. Oh, so I'll down there. Uh, but I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, I will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your straight way before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. So that's one example of the many examples of an imprecatory prayer in the Psalms. Um, here's a question. Why do you think it's so unpopular? I mean, us saying this is probably not what most Christians nowadays would even talk about, less, you know, pray about either, sure. you know. So what do you think is, I mean, this is the, this is the God of the Bible, and yet we somehow ignore a great portion of his character. Why is that? Well, I think it's because, one, we lack a true understanding of how other than God is. He, his very essence is so different than ours. He can hate evil righteously justly he can destroy evil righteously justly and not be evil by destroying evil um and we, we i don't think we have that capacity in the same way um we would become evil if we were destroying evil people like it would make us evil we are not capable of doing that in a righteous manner um i also think you know people have focused a lot on um, Jesus in the New Testament, and they've like skipped over the places where he is consumed um, with zealousness for God's house. They've skipped over some of the the parts where you do see more of that side of Jesus, even in the New Testament. We have like this flowery view of like just he's nice. He's just nice to everybody, but he calls out sin and he, um, is harsh with people that are maligning the gospel or who are hypocrites. I mean, he, he does bring a harsh word. Um, but we've just kind of sanitized that in, in our, in a lot of churches today. So I think that's, that is part of it, but Jesus is ultimately completely loving, but you cannot have a being that's supremely loving that being isn't also supremely just his justice and his love go together. Um, they're not in opposition to one another. You can't be truly loving. If you let evil reign, that is not loving. If you don't restrain evil or deal with evil or, um, take care of those that oppress others, then you're not, that's not love, but you can't judge. 
Yeah, well, the God of the universe can judge, actually. <laughs> he is the righteous judge, and he judges rightly. So you're saying Christians can make a, a wise judgment. In, oh, so in, you're in about estimate. Christians versus... Okay, so yeah, God I'm obviously can I'm talking about looking judge. at people. So, so, so here's the thing. So, so some Christians might counter and say, well, as a Christian, you're not allowed to judge. Right, God because... can judge, but we can't. Okay. Well, right. But then you probably know where the scriptures are, where... Um, it talks it doesn't the bible does not forbid us from judging it forbids us from judging un, unrighteously um and as hypocrites we're not to judge as hypocrites we're not supposed to judge the very things that we ourselves are doing um do you know where that talks about that uh matthew 7 i believe when so you don't judge, judge judge rightly no. um or you know the whole getting the plank out of the others, getting the plank out of your own eye before you get the speck out of your brother's. But it's not saying don't get the speck out of your brother's eye. It's just deal with your plank first. Um, Don't be condemning. I think it's the Pharisees that are condemning the very behavior that they themselves in private are doing, um, which makes them not judging righteously because they're not starting the judgment with themselves and their sin. So we are called to be wise and we are called to even in the beginning of Galatians, where it's talking about um, if anyone comes to you with a different gospel other than the one that you heard from me, it's wrong. So to, you're not supposed to judge that gospel. Like you know, you are supposed to. You are supposed to judge what people are saying and know is this is this biblically sound or is this not? Um, we are called to use discernment. And if somebody's preaching another gospel, um, a gospel that's contrary to the gospel of Christ, we absolutely have to, have to, out of a love for people and a love for God's word, share that, point that out. Yeah. Well, even there's a dichotomy here of, of, or of David, when he talks about when, when you said, um, the eye, you know, get, you know, the, the log, the speck, David says, Lord, you know, in certain passages, he says, my hands essentially are clean. I'm, I am righteous in this. These are my enemies though. You know, it's almost like David has an understanding of help me in my, in, in my righteousness. And David realizes that he's also, you know, say that he's a sinner, but he, but he realizes that, um, in this affair, he's in this particular affair, his, 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 he knows that he's walking uprightly and that his enemies seek to destroy him. And in that particular regard, it's fine for David, if you will, to judge and say, to judge rightly and say, these are, these are not just my enemies. These are the enemies of the Lord. Well, but in Psalm 69, which is also an imprecatory Psalm, um, actually the writer, I don't know if it's David, but admits that he has guilt in Mm. some of it, but even so he's asking for forgiveness for his part and he's still asking for God to um, judge his enemies and give them what they deserve. So he is repenting and lamenting over his sin. Um, yeah. So in verse five says, Oh God, you know, my folly, the wrongs I have not, I have done are not hidden from you. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me. O Lord God of hosts, let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me. O God of Israel. So yeah, he knows that he's, um, that he's done something wrong. There's folly here. Um, but he's still crying out to the Lord about it. I think it starts. 
you know my reproach in verse 19? Yeah, maybe, or in 22. That's really where he's, like, calling for. So, okay, but what you were saying, so in verse 19 it says, You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. And then in verse 22 it says, Let their own table before them become a snare, and when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see, and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them, and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents, for they persecute him whom you have struck down, and they recount the pain of those who you have wounded. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a while back, I can't remember when, I can't remember what psalm, but we were at church singing a psalm. And, you know, we're like, it's a happy psalm. We're like singing it and there's like a nice melody and everyone's lovely voices. And it must have been an imprecatory psalm because all of a sudden in like, you know, God, you're so good. You're so right. It's like said something about like you crush our enemies. And it's just like happily singing you crush our enemies. It was, I almost laughed. It was like, wow, like that was so different than like the setting of the music. Um, But then after I thought, there's also such comfort in the fact that God is just and that he deals with evil and that he doesn't let it run forever. Um, That in his justice, if we turn from our sin and repent, he saves and redeems us. No one is too evil or sinful um, that God couldn't forgive their sins. But at the same time, sin that is unrepentant, it's a comfort that God deals with that. That evil men that plot evil day and night, um, they will have to face God. They'll have to face him. There's comfort for us in that. That's why we can leave vengeance to the Lord and not try to take anything to our own hands. He knows everything. He does all things right. Um, and he will make even those evil, the most heinous things that have ever been done. He will make them right. Yeah. So either way we can find peace. We can find peace in knowing that God can save our enemies and we can find peace that knowing that God can bring justice either in this life or the next to our enemies because he will ultimately. Okay. And I saw a touch of his extreme justice in Exodus 22. Can I read that? Yeah. This just stood out to me. I'll find it for you. Thanks. 2222. 2222? Yep. All right. There you go. These are laws about social justice. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath will burn, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, is this the translation, though, that I read? I don't know. It's not. Hang on. This is the ESV, but I want to read it in the New King James. 
because I want to say that's what I read it in. There was even emphasis. Was there a big difference between the two? Yes. Wow. Well, just some tiny words, but... So you're still in the ESV. Dang. You're right. Yep. And now I'm just highlighting the whole thing instead of changing translations. Do you need some help? <laughs> Perhaps. Okay. Okay. Why don't you continue to talk? Because this okay. is also a podcast, and so, so some people don't want to hear dead sound. Well, they'll just have to hang. <laughs> um, in what I... Oh, I wrote it down. In my journal. So here you go. Are you kidding? If you afflict them in any way and they at all cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will become hot. So if you afflict them in any way and they at all cry out to God, he and who is, will hear their cry. And again, who is the, the fatherless? The fatherless. Or so the we're, widow. So, you, so we're talking social justice here? Yes. Okay. Yes. I gotta go back to it in the Bible. Um, it's the fatherless and the widow. Okay. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Okay. So, like, it just <laughs> stuck out to me because the punishment is huge. If in any way you mistreat them and they cry out, he will hear. Um, he will hear. So, you made another reference to he will hear. I think you brought up Hagar. Yes, right? Hagar, and I don't know where that's at in Genesis, but... Let's find his good recount. In Hagar, yeah, so Hagar has a son, then she is with Abraham, then she is being, um, like, really bad to Sarah. So Sarah says she is, you know, um, I think she was, like, picking on her and stuff. And she was not happy about it. So Abraham said, deal with her as you see fit. So Sarah was harsh with her and sent her out from them. Um, and I'm I'm thinking, too, that must have been like she was going to be desolate. She wasn't going to be, like, in a family anymore or have people. She was on her own. And she had a young child. And so she's sent out to the desert. And she sits down. And she's thinking, like, I'm going to die. My child's going to die. And God hears her son um, who's, I think it says he's a baby. If not, he's a very small child. He cries and God hears. And then a, a well appears. Some more with the wells. Um, and she rejoices and says, you are the God who sees. And she's saved. She knows she's saved essentially because he's provided water for her in the middle of the desert. No. But he hears the cry of the baby, not even Hagar. He hears the child cry no. out. Um, the Father, then fatherless, essentially. And he makes him into a great nation and promises her that even though he'll be a wild man, um, that he'll, a nation will come from him. Yeah. So. That's great. Were there any other observations that you had that you wanted to point out? I think you had one in um, yes. Peter, first Peter. Second Peter. Second Peter. Mm-hmm. Okay. Second Peter... One seventeen through 18. Um, this is talking about the transfiguration. Peter is retelling it, and he's talking about Jesus here. For he, Jesus... So talk about what happened at, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is okay. there with his disciples. You don't have to read it, but Jesus is there with his disciples. Yes. And he's on top of the mountain. Um, 
After six, well, I'll just read this. Okay. okay. Matthew 17, one through two. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Um, they're like witnessing this happen, and then like Elijah shows up, and Moses, I want to say. Um, and they're like not knowing what's going on, but I think soon after they realize like his deity, that's part of um, God showing them that Jesus is God. Um, but, and also it's interesting that his face shone like the sun, because that made me think of Moses after he gets the law. Moses goes up on the high mountain, remember, and he gets the law and then his face is shining so much that the people ask him to wear a veil and he has to wear a veil for the rest of his life because after being in God's presence, he is still shining. Um, so we see Jesus on top of a high mountain um, being transfigured and his face shining. So then in Second Peter, when Peter is recounting that, what he witnessed of Jesus with his own eyes, he says, for he received from God, the father, honor and glory. When such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, love that title. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So love that other reference to the mountain. Um, it's on top of the mountain that God comes down. Just like when Moses went up to the top of the mountain and God came down to give him the law. Again, we see here Jesus going up to the top of the mountain and God saying, this is my son. So, just more mountain references. <laughs> you and the mountains. I'm just noticing them. You, and really, you really love the mountains. Yeah, I do. And so does Jesus, <laughs> clearly. So. Well, he made, well, he made the mountains. He so. made the mountains. Yeah, there's something to be said for mountains. That's yes. true. Yeah. Any other, okay, so any other mountain references just on the top of your head, just for fun. So we got Mount Ararat, right, where Noah's Ark lands. True. There's a mountain that mm -hmm. the Ark lands on. Mount Moriah Mount is Moriah. where Abraham goes to sacrifice Isaac, but right. God stops him and says that it was a test, essentially, that now he knew that Abraham really loved him and would not withhold his own son from him. Um Did you mention that Christ is crucified on the mountain? No, but that's true too. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, I thought I just heard this. So if somebody wants to correct me, feel free. Is the same mountain that Abraham sacrifices Isaac the same mountain? That I don't know. Or near that mountain? I, I thought know. I heard that it either was on that mountain I or near that mountain. I think something else happens on that mountain, but I don't know if it's okay. that. I'm totally... That's... We'll yeah. have to verify. Yeah, so, so someone feel free to correct me. I'm not saying that is historic fact, but yeah. I thought I just heard that, and I thought that was rather interesting. Yeah. Okay, so what other mountains are there? Any other mountains? Well, the one I pointed out last time, when Jesus is telling the Beatitudes, he goes on top of a mountain to teach. Right. Um, I'm sure there are more, but I'm just going to have to come across them as I'm reading through the Bible and then be like, oh, hey, another mountain. Another mountain. Another mountain. There's just... It, I don't know. I love that I'm reading all over New Testament and Old Testament and the way that um, 
I'm reading lots of different books of the Bible, I am noticing things like that that I wouldn't if I was just reading the New Testament or just reading this part of the Old Testament. It's the going back and forth that I'm like, oh, hey, I just saw that. Or, oh, hey, there's something very similar or the same words or similar language. Um, it's helping me notice by going back yeah. and forth. Oh, yeah. Just really amazing. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to, uh, there's so much to observe in the Bible. There's so much that we talk about that we're like, feels like I read this for the first time. Okay, that happened to me tonight. It happens all the time. Well, <laughs> you it all, does happen I all mean, the time. You, I know. Lately, you've been saying that all the time. I feel like that all the time. I feel, I, did I read this and either well, I've read I it or or I have what? it marked and underlined in my Bible and I'm like, well, I know I read it because that's my handwriting and I underlined it, but right. I don't remember ever having read that. Yeah. Um, like Proverbs nine. Uh huh. Oh yeah, Proverbs nine. I read that tonight. This is our. This is this is a horror proverb. This is this is your October pa- horror partial, story. Partial horror story. Yeah, it's good too. But yeah, it does totally read like a spooky story. Yeah. Um, I know I've read this before, but when I read it, I was like surprised. So here we go. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and live, and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple... Let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, like when I read that and I was reading it out loud, it was like, wait, the woman of folly, she's luring them in. She's got stolen bread. Um, This... Well, no, it's stolen water. It's bread, <laughs> eating in secret, but he doesn't know, he that comes in, that they're dead. She's got like, like a, I was just picturing like all these dead skeletons like sitting in the house. Like you enter in like, okay, and then everyone's dead. It's like a twist. Just, it read like a horror story it to me. It like, does oh read like gosh. a horror story. And then like the contrast, like, like line for line of the wise um, woman who... Sits at the door. She's got a house. The The foolish woman has a house. 
They call to those who pass by. They both call out to those who have no sense. Whoever's simple, let him come in here. Let him turn in here. And they both offer bread. Well, the wise woman offers wine. The other woman, stolen water. But they're both offering drink and Well, that's interesting. What's better? Wine. Wine. I mean, obviously water we have to have. But it's interesting (laughs) that one is wisdom will give you, she will give you wine. The wine she this has is mixed. stolen water. The wine she has mixed. She right. Has mixed. It's even better. This is stolen water. Stolen water. Well, and you see um, that the wise says, leave your simple ways and live. She's offering life. Mm-hmm. And the foolish woman is offering death. So mm-hmm. here again in Proverbs, you're seeing life and death. And it's like all over Proverbs. The way of wisdom leads to life. The way of folly leads to death. Wickedness leads to death. And Jesus speaking as wisdom in Proverbs says, all those who hate me love death. Thank you for listening to the Love of Life podcast, Conversations with Jesse and Courtney. It is our duty through our schools to create a new one, a God-centered one. We are told in Proverbs 8, verses 35 and 36, For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death.